Once you've hired the right people, the right who's, now what? Stay tuned for a fun and enlightening conversation with Alec Broadfoot of Vision Spark, where we talk about not only how to hire great people, great who's, but also how to onboard them and how to keep them. Stay tuned. Hi, Shannon Waller here and welcome to Team Success. Today I'm talking about a very important subject about onboarding some new hires with my dear friend, client, colleague, peer in all things people, Alec Broadfoot from Vision Spark. So Alec, thank you so much for joining me. In our pre-conversation, we already covered about 18 different things we should talk about today. (laughs) So I am very excited to have you back on the podcast to talk about, I think, a step that a lot of people are tempted to skip over, not give it its due. So I'm excited to dive in. But before we do, first of all, just welcome again back because I've had you on a couple of times or we've had opportunities to speak together. So I know you through Strategic Coach. I know you through Vision Spark. You have a phenomenal profile that you use in your very robust hiring process called Achiever, which I'm a fan of. And then again, you help entrepreneurial companies find the right who's. You know, so you're a who finder in strategic coach terms and someone who really knows the strategic coach community, who knows the EOS community really well, entrepreneurial operating system. So first of all, thank you for being such an amazing human. You and myself and Emily have done lots of who not how webinars, which has been really enjoyable. So this is just another phenomenal chance to collaborate again. So thanks for being here. Thank you, Shannon. It's really good to be here. And it's one of my favorite subjects that I think is completely underestimated and the importance of of onboarding. So if we can onboard our team members correctly, sky's the limits. Fantastic. So you've had deep experience and through your work at Vision Spark. So let's just talk about the context of how you have come to have the expertise, the insight, because we're going to talk about what to do, what not to do, how to think about it, miss, oh my God, miss around hiring, mm-hmm. return on time invested. We're going to talk about a lot of key things that you have really discerned from your many years of experience. So let us know a little bit before about Alec and Vision Spark before we jump in. Yeah, so we've been in business over 10 years. And what we do, I think, really well is we help entrepreneurial companies find and hire the right leaders, the right second-in-command integrator, leadership-level positions, so these companies can be self-multiplying. We have a proven process. Our success rate's 96% compared to the industry average of just 60%. So it's a proven process. And I think we're doing something right with clients that come back, you know, and say, man, you helped us hire a great integrator. Can you help us hire a great VP of sales? Right. Fantastic. I love that depth. And first of all, kudos on the success percentage. That's huge, especially since the average is only 60, which is not fabulous. Most of us have had experienced that for ourselves. And having a proven process, which you worked on, you have refined this over the years. But once you've got the right person, there's a massive opportunity for it to still fall flat, Mm -hmm. right? Presuming you do have the right person. We'll talk about that too. But let's talk about onboarding. First of all, what is onboarding and why is it really important? So how do you define onboarding? Like I know Mm -hmm. how I think of it, but I want to make sure we're on the same page. Yeah. So, you know, the hiring process doesn't stop once they walk in the door right? Mm-hmm. You have to see them to the finish line. And so onboarding is really getting the new hire ready to be successful in the role, right? So you're not done 
with onboarding until they're succeeding and they're contributing and they don't need you on a daily basis. So it's really getting them so they're successful. Cool. And does it start once they've said yes? Because there could be a time delay between that and when they start. Mm -hmm. Or does it start when they start, their start date? How do you like to measure it? It's all about the experience with the candidate. So as you're interviewing them, right, they're like, man, you've got a lot of steps to your interview process. You must really care about who you hire, right? So they're at the end of the process. They're like, man, this has been a great experience. They get to know you. It's a courting process, right? They get to know your culture. And so you are, you know, you're allowing them to see who you are. It's a courting process, right? Do I want to work for this company? It's a two-way street. It's not just one way. And then once they come on board, you want to continue that care. And you just spent a lot of time hiring them, right? So, you know, the numbers say if you hire the wrong person, it costs up to three times their annual salary, right? So if it's a 100K person, that's a 300K cost. So what are those costs? Well, some of them is opportunity costs, recruiting costs. So now you spent all this time. Now let's make sure that they're going to be successful. Mm -hmm. And as strategic coach, we talk about employees not as an expense, but an investment, right? So Mm -hmm. you just invested in this new key person. So how do you get the best return on this investment? I really appreciate you bringing this in because there is an appropriate mindset that goes along with this, which is it's not transactional. Right. You know, I think hiring people, like a lot of the stuff that you hear, I hear from people is like, oh, why don't they just show up and do their job? Damn it. You know, and there's usually some swear words that go along with that. <sighs> and people get really frustrated because they just want it to work. They just want a self-managing, self-multiplying company. Thank you very much. And they don't want to have to engage with the other human. They just want to wave magic wand and have it happen, which I can empathize with. Some days I want that too, because it feels challenging. But truly, this is a relationship. Rather, the mindset to have is that this is an ongoing relationship. This is a part of your team. This is what's going to really help leverage you as an entrepreneur, as an owner, as a leader. This is a leverage opportunity for you. This is going to free you up. This expands your freedoms, time, money, relationship, purpose, you know, as part of having a self-managing and self-multiplying company. So having the right mindset means that you are much more likely to take the right actions. Otherwise, you'll probably skip these steps, have paid not the 100, but the $300,000 cost because you simply haven't looked at it as an investment. You haven't looked at it as a relationship. And I think checking your mindset, you know, if you have a relationship type mindset, or you can call it transformational versus transactional, then again, you're going to be much more open to what we're talking about today. Yes, yes, great, absolutely. Great point, absolutely. Alec. Thank you. And, you know, when you're interviewing, you want to have the mindset to disqualify too. So Ooh. you need to treat them really well, you need to be kind because they are human. It could be with the team long term, but we have to hire the right people to have successful onboarding. So if we hire someone who's a quick learner, they fits with our core values, they're gonna be much more of a long-term fit and a much better onboarding experience for both the employer and the employee, right? I love that idea of disqualifying. Mm -hmm. You have a couple of provocative questions (laughs) to ask, which I think are really powerful because what you're talking about to me is standards really important to have standards, but you're actively looking to disqualify someone because that really sets up to have the right qualified people, if I understand correctly. Absolutely. Right. Right. If you can't disqualify them, then they're worthy to move on to be a part of your company. I like that story. Mm -hmm. So, so many times we try to qualify them, you know, 
because we like them. And entrepreneurs, you know, visionaries, you know, my friends at Strategic Coach, we love people. And it's easy for us to hire. We love selling. We love selling. We sell yeah. our damn company. Yeah. And then people are like, oh, yeah. oops. Yeah. It's been said that a typical interview is a conversation between two liars, right? So you got the visionary that's selling their company. Not that we're liars, but we get excited about it. And then you have the candidate that is selling themselves. And then, you know, what happens? You're on the road to Abilene and, you know, who's this person I hired, right? (laughs) I love that. So let's jump into some of the questions that you ask because you've got some great questions One's based on the R-Factor question from Coach, Mm -hmm. another one that you had already that kind of goes along with the same line of thinking that we've been talking about. So what are some of the questions that you find really helpful to help qualify and disqualify people? Yeah. So are you asking like about the interview process? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, there's so many questions, but I'll give you an example of a question that we're asking. So we'll ask someone who's going to be an integrator they have some sort of managerial level position, we'll ask them a question, for example, you know, what have been some of your greatest accomplishments as a leader and manager, right? And oftentimes over half of the time, we'll say, well, my greatest accomplishment was I got to grow this business from X to Y, or I got to start a new operation in, you know, Batavia, New York or whatever. Those are the wrong answers. So what we're looking for is that they need to see my greatest accomplishment was building a team and seeing others succeed. So if they don't say that, we disqualify them. So we have a couple different rounds of interviews. You know, the first round is about eight questions with sub-questions. And then the second round is about a 90-minute interview, 36 questions, sub-questions. And it really separates the pretenders from the contenders. And so now it's been a while since we've done this, but we looked at our clients and we said, okay, now... Who are the most successful candidates? And then we looked at their interview scores and 90% of those candidates that are excelling with our clients had the best interview scores. Mm -hmm. So, you know, another way to really have some good interview skills is to have them share specific examples. And so it's a twofold question where you ask, you know, a closed end question, you know, Shannon, would you describe yourself as a good communicator, right? So you're getting them to go from, you were just asking me about problem solving, now you're asking me about communication. So it allows them to transition in their mind. And then you follow it up by using the words, tell me about a time when. Mm -hmm. So tell me about a time when a breakdown in communication created a difficult situation for you. Now you're looking for a specific example. And in this day and age where information is accessible everywhere, Getting specific examples add credibility. And you can say, Alec, uh, let me tell you about what happened this morning when I was talking to my assistant. I didn't clearly articulate, right? That's going to add credibility as opposed to, well, as humans, we need to communicate better. Communication is the source of all problems, right? So that does not add credibility. So those are a couple of examples of how we disqualify in the interview process. I love it. And I, as soon as you ask that question, I can answer it like, <laughs> come to mind immediately. One's like, like quite an old one. One's from last week. <laughs> it's like all the things. I love it. Now in the hiring process, because you made this point when we were talking earlier, when you're onboarding, you want to be onboarding the right person. So really this is the context for actually having a successful onboarding process. Onboarding the wrong person. Yes. Wrong fit person. Not right. actually very strategic. So no. I love that we're doing this setup with this. You ask another three month question. Yes. Please say it the way that you say it because when I heard it 
I was like, whoa, this is genius. Yeah. So when you start the hiring process, I would recommend asking yourself the Dan Sullivan question, the art question. So, you know, you're looking to hire an integrator, you're looking to hire a salesperson and an executive assistant. So you put yourself ahead in time and, you know, say, okay, if I was talking to this new hire a year from today, what has to happen for me to really feel like they're killing it in their role? And just take some time and journal it, right? Journal it out. And so that is a key question and put that down because you're going to use that information or put it on the position profile to put it on the four by fours. We'll talk about that later. But the other question to ask is to reverse it. And that's to say three months from today, I hired this person and in three months or in two weeks and I'm firing them. I'm letting them go. I'm terminating them. What are they doing to be terminated? What are they not doing? Right. So those are the two ways that you can use that question to get really clear. And I love this question because I literally just had a conversation this morning with someone who'd made a new, very senior team leader hire, sales and marketing. And there were two things he said. He said, first of all, I think the person is guilty of corporatitis. And I threw up my hands because that was why I wrote multiplication by subtraction. <laughs> I said, have they read the team success handbook? Because that's all about having an entrepreneurial versus a corporate attitude. He goes, no. I'm like, okay, put it on his desk or, you know, get the Kindle copy, whatever works. Because otherwise it's going to be a multiplication by subtraction mm-hmm. scenario. And the other thing he said, it drives me crazy. We literally talked about another one of our tools, the four by four, because what drives me crazy, which is section four, is not knowing your numbers. Mm -hmm. He said, there aren't that many numbers to know. If you don't know them, we're done. You know, so, so clear. And he had done a four by four with this person when they started two and a half months ago. So that tells you what direction it's going. But I found that so interesting. So knowing what your tolerance level is, because you can love them, they can be a great person, but if they do a few things that are gonna tick you off to the point where you like drives you crazy and you don't want them in your company, they're gone. Right. Knowing that for yourself and articulating that to the person is first of all, just good teamwork because then they know where not to step in it. <laughs> is how I think about it. But you had a, a way to address the corporatitis. And just to set this up, I coach people a little bit on hiring, not nearly to the degree that you do, but some people like to use me as a sounding board because there's something when someone comes in and I have a little test, if someone loved being part of a large corporate organization, I usually think they're not a right fit for an entrepreneurial company. Mm -hmm. If they were super frustrated working for a, a large corporate organization, I'm like, okay, then they've got a chance. But if someone loved it, An entrepreneurial company is just too different a mindset. So what's your take on that? Because you have a a great insight I'd like to hear. That's very different. And, you know, when we work with our clients to find senior level positions, it is not uncommon for them. We'll we'll ask them, say, hey, what are the behaviors, traits, and values that you want to see in this person? So we do this brainstorm session, but it's not uncommon. I'd say 80% of the time they'll say they need to have small business experience. And if they don't say it, I'm going to suggest it. <laughs> so, you know, the, the reasons why is, you know, corporatists, individuals in corporation, in my mind, they lack the resourcefulness mm-hmm. to work in a small business, right? They're working with other people's resources. They have budgets, they have people, right? And you go to a small entrepreneurial company who are agile and tenacious and quick and they're limited on resources. You're not spending revenue, you're spending profits, right? So yes. they have to be resourceful. 
And so what we look for is did they grow up in a small business? Did they work for a small business? And some part of their career, we will have like a questionnaire that we ask them in our applicant tracking system, you know, how many years of small business experience do you have? So that is super important in hiring individuals for an entrepreneurial type company. Well, I so love that. And it turns out that resourcefulness, and by the way, our performance is alert, curious, responsive, and resourceful. And when Dan was writing out the list, I walked by him in our cafe in Toronto. He had alert, he had curious, responsive. And I had just read a pricey, actually, of Dr. Brad Smart's book called Top Grading. Mm-hmm. And the pricey was great because it's basically a tome. It's a 700 pages. It should have been three different books. <laughs> she agrees with. Anyways, just read the price pricey of it. But the number one characteristic of an A player, which is the best quality person you can get at that pay grade, so it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what you're in the organization, is guess what? Resourcefulness. Yes. So we're yeah. all aligned. And you're so right. There are constraints in an entrepreneurial company. You don't have budgets and approvals where you don't have to have full responsibility (laughs) and, you know, tons of people lying around to get your work done. No, no, no. That person's probably you. So yes, yes, and yes. See, we're always on the same page, Alex. I just (laughs) love this. We are. So it sounds like you talked earlier, the, you will get to know what you want. The candidate also through this process gets to have more self-awareness as well. So they can j- better judge whether or not they're going to be a right fit. So I love the enlightenment that happens in the very intentional conscious process that you have. So let's presume that someone has jumped through all the hoops. You've said yes. They've said yes. You've agreed on the salary expectations, all the things. Now what happens? Like now what? Yeah. So you let them know their start date, they come in. And what we do here at Vision Spark for our new employees, we have a gift waiting for them. We have a card from everybody. So you really want to make them feel special. But the answer to getting the most out of your new hire is time. That's the answer. Mm -hmm. So you want them to have a schedule. Who can they shadow? So if it's an integrator, they should be shadowing the visionary for two, three days. You want them to shadow with different stakeholders, you know, their hiring manager, their peers, their direct reports, spending a lot of time with them and then have a daily check-in with them at the end of the day, 4.30, say, hey, how'd it go today? You know, let's do a positive focus. What worked well? What can be better? What are some of the things you're noticing? What questions do you have? So that's super important. And you can wane that time with them. So, you know, maybe in three weeks, you know, or two weeks, it's a weekly meeting. And then it can go to a monthly meeting. So a quick story, and I like to share this story. A friend of mine wanted someone to come in. Him and his wife had a really strong business. And he wanted a salesperson to help with the revenue in the business. So he was responsible for the top line. So him and his wife decided to move outside of Ohio, and they moved to a different state. And he hired a salesperson. He didn't use Vision Spark. And he, he called me a couple months later and said, you know, Alec, you know, and he's in a new location. And it's like, Alec, the salesperson is not working out. And I started asking questions. And one of the questions I asked him, well, how much time are you spending with him? He's like, and he was really proud. Hey, I spend 30 minutes on a phone call with them every Friday. And I said, wait a second, this person's responsible for 100% of your revenue. And you're doing a 30 minute check-in call every Friday. I said, you need to be spending, you know, the first couple of weeks, an hour a day at minimum with them. Mm-hmm. They should have been shadowing you. I don't think this person's going to work out. And sure enough, they didn't work out. He learned his lesson the hard way, you know, cost him a few bucks. 
So you want to spend time with the person, really making them feel cared for and special, that they learn, that they see themselves an important part of the culture and part of the team. So that's the answer. And we don't want to hear that sometimes, but they are an investment. You just spent all this money and time hiring them. You got to make sure you see them across the finish line. Yeah, it reminds me of dating. <laughs> you know, when you're wooing someone, you show up your best self, they have lots of time and attention. And as soon as they say yes, it's like you're on to like your job or something else. You're like, oh, okay, that's done. But we need to kind of keep going with that time and attention because that's how people are going to thrive. Mm-hmm. And you just reminded me, and I haven't thought of this for years, but originally I was hired by another salesperson at Strategic Coach. And I came in and I didn't have an office. Strategic Coach was we. Yeah. I was number six. But she set up was then it was a conference table, which actually was where Dan sat. But she had, I brought my own computer, that was part of the deal, but she had pens and papers and post-its and just set up a little area for me, probably a mug, you know, and I just felt like I wasn't an afterthought. You know, it was intentional that I was there and that set the tone. And if I'd had to scramble, that would not have been a good feeling. So that is such a good point. And then I literally sat and listened to her for three weeks. And then she was a brilliant salesperson. So yeah, all the things you're saying reinforce my own very early experience, but it's not how you've been spending your day, right? right? So it does take a shift and like, oh yeah, I need to include this person. And most of us are fairly independent. So we're not used to have someone trailing along. And then being on Zoom with people, if that's how you're working, that's a whole other deal. Yes. So I imagine it's a bit of a shift in habit to have this happen. Yes. And it's short term. It's short term. You know, I... I hired a salesperson in 2019 and, you know, I had that person shadow me every day for the first two weeks and, you know, they were really good for advocating for themselves. You know, Alec, I have this client opportunity. Can you help me with it? Or here's my approach to it. And so, you know, that time you spend with them is invaluable, but then they're a rock star. You're like, well, you know, how'd they get to be a rock star? Well, it's because you spent time with them in the beginning. And they got to watch you. That's the other thing you should remember. Yeah, yes. <laughs> they might as well learn from the best, right? That's right. And you said something about the positive focus. And we just had a new person start on my team who's a total dreamboat. Love this guy. His name's Chris. We were talking about the positive focus. And we actually start people with something called the 21-day positive focus. For some reason, he hadn't gotten it. So I'm like, oh, go remedy that right away, which he did that afternoon. So we're back on track. But I think it's super important for people to appreciate that when people start a new job, the learning curve is incredibly steep. Yes. Like, where are the restrooms? How does the photocopier work? How do you answer the darn phone? Like, it's those stupid little things, but you can feel stupid if you can't figure them out or if it's everything is brand new. And like, we're in a Mac environment. If people are used to working on PCs, you know, just sometimes subtle but essential things. And if people can write down their wins, I don't actually care what their wins are, to be perfectly honest. I just want to know that they know what they are. So it's not about judging whether or not someone's achievements during the day, they didn't get lost on the way in and out of the building. Awesome. (laughs) That's a win. (laughs) I'm directionally challenged. So that's why that would be on my list. But just to having someone track their wins, their progress for 21 days means you can dramatically shorten the length of time it takes for them to feel confident, capable, and engage with their work. Yes. Right. If people are in the gap, you know, where they're measuring themselves against an ideal, it totally gets in the way of them being effective. So just reinforcing the wins or using Strategic Coach's 21 Day Positive Focus, which is just a little booklet, it's cute, you know, is so reinforcing of that super steep learning curve, and then they can get where they're going faster. So, yes, I love that that's part of both of our process. Yeah, that's great. 
Yeah, that's great. So Mm -hmm. the more time you spend with them, the greater return on investment. Cool. Yeah. There's also a few Gallup questions that you like to make sure that people think about too. Yes. The Gallup Q12 has been around for a long time. And I come back to it a lot when, you know, people ask me questions. It's really rich in information. So number one, I know what is expected of me at work, right? So they have to know what success looks like. You have to tell them how you're going to be measured. I have the materials and equipment I need to do my work right. This is super important. I learned this years ago. I was interviewing a franchisee for McDonald's and he had owned a bunch of McDonald's. So this is back in 2004, 2005. And I said, hey, I bet you you have super high turnover. And he says, actually, we have the lowest turnover in the region. And I said, well, is that because you pay more? He's like, no, it's not. He said, a lot of times people will leave their jobs, uh, they'll leave McDonald's because equipment's not working right. The cash register, the fryer. And so I make sure we, we are on something like that. And so they're not frustrated at their job. So I learned that lesson and at Vision Spark, I'm like, okay, do you have what you need? Do you need a stand up desk? Do you need a monitor? Um, do you need a, a different chair? How's your back? Right? So you want to make sure that they have the equipment they need at work. I want to jump in here because this is so key. Yeah. It was fun. I was talking to my brilliant support partner, Katrina, and I kept hearing the fan come on in her computer and it wasn't terribly fast. When she started a year ago, it was probably one of the older computers we had. And she wasn't being proactive. She's very supportive and nice and sweet and all those things. Mm-hmm. So I'm messaging the head of tech. I'm like, Glenn, this computer is crap. It's not working. <laughs> I can hear it on recordings and stuff like that. So she just got a new computer that's wicked fast, probably faster than mine right now. The resolution certainly about her. It's a brand new Mac. She goes, thank you. I'm like, you need the right materials to do your job. She's looking at the screen seven plus hours a day. Mm-hmm. Like it has to work and it has to be effective. So even if you're thinking, okay, the person's not handling equipment. Yeah, they are in the form of their laptop, my microphone, yes. I have a second screen, all the things. So even during COVID, it was making sure that people had strong enough internet, right? Right, And the standing desk so that they're physically not in pain. All we have to do is remove frustrations and that can lead to retention. What a great example. I love that. Yeah. That, and the frustrations, I, you know, just in Toronto a couple weeks ago, we learned about that tool and that's, you know, my eyes are up and, you know, some employees, they just have this great work ethic and they put up with inconveniences and they don't even know it. And then others are a little bit more sensitive and they're asking for help. Both types of employees need the equipment to do their job right. Yeah. If you're feeling like you have to constantly work around, you're not actually growing and building. You're just keeping things at maintenance level and Last time I checked, we want our companies to grow. Yeah. So don't make it about the employee. Make it about actually people being able to do their jobs well. I think that's absolutely essential. Love it. So what's the next Gallup question that you like to make sure people engage? At work, I have the opportunity to do what I do best every day. And, you know, at Strategic Coach, we talk about unique ability, right? And so, I mean, people enjoy their jobs if they're in their unique ability, right? If they are doing work that they love and they're great at, So as a company, as employers, we want to make sure we have people on their unique ability, right? If 95% of what they do, they hate, they're miserable. They don't want to go back there. You know, they may be a toxic culture, right? So, you know, we want to make sure they're doing what they love. And so that's going back to the position profile. So when you write a position profile, you want to communicate your culture, what's expected of them, the behavior traits and values, what their job responsibilities are, 
because you want to attract the right people to your candidate pool and repel the ones that don't fit. Which is true of any good marketing. Mm -hmm. And I love it because I recorded a podcast a while ago. It's like, we need to apply the same marketing capabilities and talents that we do to attract customers to attract talent. Same thing, just in a different direction. And I love the intentionality and consciousness with which you bring to it. I'm like, oh, I was looking at a job description for a new person yesterday. I'm like, oh, do we have behaviors, traits, and talents listed in there? Not clearly enough. (laughs) That was the first thing. When you said that, I'm like, I need to go back to that job description or a position profile, which is a much better term, to make sure I list that out. Because stuff can get too high level and too general. I don't end up with the human I want. Certain jobs like reception, you're the director of first impressions. We need you to really like people. Yes. We've had a few people that clearly did not. (laughs) What were we thinking? No, they might have great organizational capabilities and talents, but there's a personality aspect to some roles, not all. Although now I can't think of any that don't, but it's like there's certain things. Sometimes you want people to be quieter. Sometimes you want them to be more forthcoming. Right. Completely cool. There's no right or wrong, but there could be a wrong or right fit for the role. Yes, for sure. For sure. That's a good point. Yeah. There's a convenience store. We're in Ohio and there's, you know, couple hundred convenience stores in the area and they use some of the tools that we use, but they were hiring cashiers or the people that, you know, take the money. And they found that they didn't want extreme extroverts because they would just talk all day to these candidates and the line would back up and they didn't want extreme introverts because they didn't say hello or anything like that. So it was really important that they had a balance. And so, you know, that's an example right there. I love that. I love that. There's another question that you like too from Gallup. Yeah. My supervisor or someone at work seems to care about me as a person, right? And so, you know, people don't care how much you know to me, you know how much they care, right? The old adage, I think it was Thoreau who said that, and then John Maxwell made it popular. So that is super important, right? Employees don't leave jobs, they leave bosses. So that having that care is super important. And so we want the right leaders working for our companies because it's important that they retain the talent that you've worked so hard to bring in mm-hmm. and to onboard, right? So that's an important one. And I found that there's a couple of aspects to that. One is caring about them just from a human connection point, but then there's also caring about someone's growth and development because I've seen both of those. Yes. And ruinous empathy is where you care personally, but you don't actually help challenge someone to grow in a good, healthy way. And so I think both of those things, care about you, care about where you're going, care about your strengths. And as I mentioned to you before, I read a great study, and I have to find this article. It's bugging me that I can't. But it was interesting. When people feel known and cared about, they stay. Yeah. I mean, this is the other thing. The other subtext of our conversation today is retention. Because mm-hmm. finding great people is hard enough, but then you can't keep them. Oh dear, that's expensive, right? As you mentioned. And it turns out that when people feel a little bit known, so like your process, like our process, we give a lot of profiles and Mm -hmm. we invest in you before we hire you, which means you know yourself better, but we know you much better. And people, even if we don't end up hiring them, are like, wow, that was unexpected. Mm -hmm. It so clearly says that this is not a transaction, it's a relationship and that we care. Why do you have so many interview steps? <laughs> it's one of the, one of the things we get, but we are picky. Yes, and that says something. And that means oh, people automatically yes. up their game. Anyway, going back to this article, it was a call center, and they kind of split people. And call centers, to my mind, have the most notorious record for churn because they're just like sweatshops kind of thing. Yes. 
So yeah. they divide the group. In one group, they just did their normal process. The other one, they may have had some conversation, but what I remember is they gave them a, like a mug with their name on it. They gave them a little bit of swag, a little bit of that care package. And there was at least a t-shirt or a sweatshirt with their name. Yeah. That one, one feature changed the retention rate like dramatically so when people felt like they weren't a number but they were actually a human being and someone cared to actually find out the correct spelling of their name and put it on something and give it to them turns out that was amazing and i like that example because we're not sweatshops and you know it's not that kind of work but when you actually just do the minimum of caring and letting people know that they're appreciated for who they are as an individual what a difference that can make yes so i, I love it, it. Clearly that has stuck in my head. I will go back and find the article. But I just was really impressed by that. Like we need to be known. It's a basic human need. And we have an incredible opportunity in onboarding to develop that and to nourish it and to expand it. Because if, if you want access to that person's unique ability, you have to find out what it is. Yes. And profiles are the starting point, but then they obviously need a conversation. Yes. It should never stop, right? So like I'm right now, I'm taking each of my employees out to lunch you know, we're doing that on a one-on-one -on -one basis and we got to work with schedules and stuff like that. But I just had a great lunch with one of my employees yesterday and, you know, you just, you have to spend some time with them and ask them questions and get to know them and ask them how things are going at home and what they love about their job and mm -hmm. where they see themselves in the future. And so it's time. Time is caring, right? Spending time is showing that you care. Mm, I love that. So we've talked about what to do mm -hmm. in the onboarding process to be successful. So invest time, ask questions, care personally, make sure you hire the right person, which I'm happy we spent some time on. What are some ways that people could mess it up? Yes. What should people not do? Number one, don't hire the wrong person. <laughs> which sounds really obvious, yes. but it's not. Yes. You know, Gallup says 82% of the time, employers fail to choose the right manager, right? So it's an 18% success rate. <laughs> so you want to hire the right person. And, you know, when we started doing this 10 years ago, we were helping companies, and we still do this today, find and hire integrators and COOs and second in commands. I'll follow up with them after they're hired, you know, 30 days, 180 days. I'm like, how's it going? And so early on, we didn't have this as part of our process. And I would hear things from the visionaries and owners and I'm like, well, you know, I don't really know how they're doing or they're not doing as well as I would like. And I would say, well, have you shared with them how you're going to hold them accountable, what success looks like? And the response back was at this level, I shouldn't have to tell them, right? So that is a myth, right? That is a myth. You can't assume that they know what success looks like. So that's a definition of disaster. <laughs> Right. And <laughs> just to add to that, Alec, for a moment, we have lots of awesome thinking tools. And one of them is the strategy circle. And I always coach people define what the result looks like. What does it look like when it's done and done well? Yes. And that is this applied to someone's success in a role. And it's interesting because we're willing to spend literally six figures <laughs> and more to do this. And yet we don't often decide on and communicate the desired result that we want, which is kind of wackadoo when you think about it. it is. We just expect it to work. And I thank you for pointing that out as a myth, because again, that's much more the transactional side. Your company is unique. How you work is unique. Your culture is unique. You're unique. Why wouldn't what you expect from them also be individualized and unique? So I think if people put it in context that way, they can fix what is potentially a big problem. Yeah. You know, and also how to mess it up. It's just 
you know, sending them off, you know, here's the Penske file, you know, here's your job, or let me show you what you need to do. Okay, you're on your own, right? You treat them like a number. So that's what not to do. Mm -hmm. So effective training, you know, making sure they're successful, everything we've been talking about. Yeah, I think I would add to that, focusing on the negative as opposed to the positive. It doesn't mean that you don't make some course corrections. Oh, this thing, you know what this reminds me of? We have something that actually I got from a brilliant company called TWC Financial a kajillion years ago, and it's used with permission. They had worked with a consultant and come up with something called delegation levels, and they had seven. That was a little too complex for my clients, so I shortened it down to four. But one of the things is, and this is actually used in training and onboarding, number one is go research it and come back to me. Don't do anything. Number two is do stuff, but let me know at each step, at each milestone. Mm-hmm. Number three is just let me know when it's done. And number four, just make it go away. <laughs> <laughs> now that's my personal favorite, but you have to work up to that, yes. right? Or if it's brand new to me, you could be normally a level four and everything, but if it's brand new to me, we're both back to level one. Yes. Right? And people don't understand this and sometimes their noses get out of joints, which is why I explain it. But I think it's a good way to, a level one is just go do some research, come back and let's talk about it. And then level two, again, let me know at each step and that gives you confidence and them confidence. And finally three, and by the way, anything client related never goes past a level three for me. I always want to know what happened. It is never level four. Right. Administration, always level four. <laughs> People always maximum level three. So no matter how, you could be brilliant and I still want to know what happened because I'm interested, right? That's a sense of progression that probably is really healthy for both people. And I know because I had a new assistant years ago and she was doing my expense report. I said, okay, let me check it over before you send it. She didn't. Sure enough. Then I was in the position of having to correct her. It's not really what I wanted to be doing. I'm like, no, 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 this doesn't go here. And not that I love doing expenses, but I know what works and what doesn't. And so it was like, oh, she didn't listen. <laughs> anyway, she's no longer in that role. <laughs> but it's important because that builds confidence for both of you. And I think yes. that could be another success strategy. Yes. And I mean, I think that's a great model, right? You want to get them to levels three and four. Mm-hmm. And the way to do that is hire the right people, train them, spend time with them, and then you're going to get the return that you want. Mm-hmm. You're going to get that freedom of time and you know, be able to pursue other passions. I love it. Alec, this has been so insightful. I love my conversations with you. And to me, it's like when you've hired the right person, how to make sure this is the success formula in terms of what to do, what not to do, and how to think about it. I mean, I love Dan's expression. He said, the problem is never the problem. The problem is not knowing how to think about the problem. And I think what you've really clearly identified is how to think about the situation. It's not really a problem, but it is a problem. If you've invested money in someone and they're not working out, that's an expensive problem. So I love the clarity, the direction, the tools, the resources that you've brought to bear in this conversation. And obviously with, you know, collaboration with Strategic Coach, which is awesome. So if people want to know more, if they want to hire someone and realize that you're the who, how can people get in touch with you? How can they reach out? What resources are available? All the good things. Yeah. So our website has a lot of resources. That's visionsparksearch.com. So we have lots of resources on there and articles and tools. If they want to reach out and learn more or they're you know, having a question about who their next hire is, they can contact us. An email would be discover at visionspark.com, vision-spark.com. There's a dash in between. Yep. 
Fantastic. So visionsparkssearch.com is your overall. Yes, yes. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to go check it out right now. (laughs) I think that'll be fun. So Alec, any last parting words? Because I know you're passionate about onboarding. We were chatting about it and I'm like, I have to get you on my podcast to talk more. So thank you for sharing all that you have. Any last thoughts, words of wisdom, words of encouragement that you would give to our audience? I would say as entrepreneurs, you know, 90% is who not how, right? And so... It's such a profound concept and we can grow. We can have more freedom if we have the right people in the right seats. And so it's everything, right? And so, you know, I see a lot of entrepreneurs struggle because they don't have the right leadership team and they're in pain and they're trying to do it all and they've hired the wrong people. So they think I got to just got to spend more time. I got to do things better. But if you hire the right people and have the right leaders in place, you have an integrator or second in command, man, life is better. I love that. Just make sure you onboard them properly. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Yes. Yes. Who not how. It's interesting. It's so profoundly shifted people's thinking. It's not just delegation. It's actually, to use an EOS term, elevation. Because that person is so much better. And then you get to have your bigger future, which is so exciting. Alec, I want to end up with a really great quote that happens to be behind your right shoulder. Can you just quote that? Because I think it kind of sums up everything that we've been talking about. Yes. So this is from a mentor of mine whom I love, but he said the best time to fire a marginal performer is during the interview process. (laughs) I love that. So in other words, have standards, pay attention, have a great process, and then take good care of them once you've got them. Well, thank you for your wisdom and making sure that we can both attract and keep the right who's because that's really what onboarding is all about and hiring. Yes. So as always, Alec, a total pleasure. Again, thank you for sharing your wisdom and I'm sure we'll be talking again soon. Thank you so much, Shannon. Shannon.